I'm jumping in with a quick message that I've added to all HR Coffee Time episodes to let you know that my group programme, Inspiring HR, is back. In case you haven't heard of it before, it's an intensive six-week programme for mid and senior level HR and people professionals. So if you're an HR business partner, HR manager, head of HR or HR director, or the people equivalent, so a people business partner, people manager, head of people or people director, and you'd like to build your confidence, your credibility and your impact at work, Inspiring HR could be perfect for you. We get started on Wednesday the 5th of June 2024 when we'll be meeting up over Zoom for two hours every week. The group sessions are a blend of group coaching, training and facilitation. They're supportive, encouraging and practical and each week has a slightly different focus. So in week one, we look at setting yourself up for success. Week two is about boosting your confidence. Week three focuses on being strategic in your role. Week four is all about building key relationships. Week five takes a deep dive into influencing at a senior level and the final week looks at planning for the future. There's a link with the full details in the show notes for you or you can learn more by going to my website, Bright Sky Career Coaching, clicking on services and then clicking on Inspiring HR Group Programme. I would love to have you join us and to get to know you throughout the programme. But if you have any questions about Inspiring HR at all, please feel free to ask by getting in touch through the website and I would be very happy to answer them for you. Welcome to episode 27 of HR Coffee Time with me, Faye Wallace. I'm a career coach and outplacement specialist with a background in HR, and I'm also the founder of Bright Sky Career Coaching. I've made this podcast especially for you to help you have a successful and fulfilling HR career without having to work yourself into the ground. And today I have got something a little bit different for you. You may have heard Sarah Archer on the show a couple of weeks ago as my guest talking about career conversations. Well, the tables turned. She asked me if I would go onto her LinkedIn live show this week to talk about getting unstuck after redundancy. So we recorded the whole interview and I thought, oh, actually that was a really relevant topic. I should talk about that on HR Coffee Time. I'll start planning out everything I'm going to say. And it suddenly dawned on me, why on earth do I need to record a whole solo episode on this if I've already got the interview with Sarah? So she has very kindly let me repurpose her LinkedIn Live as a podcast episode for you today. So you're going to hear her interviewing me about how to get unstuck after redundancy and also how organisations can support the people who are facing redundancy as well. So I really hope you enjoy the format. The sound quality isn't quite as good as it would be normally for the podcast because I've just taken the recording off of LinkedIn, but hopefully it's not going to get in the way of you enjoying the show and being able to take some helpful tips from it. 
Hello and welcome to today's LinkedIn Live on the Get Unstuck series with me, Sarah Archer. I'm joined today by the lovely Faye Wallace from Bright Sky Career Coaching. Uh, the Get Unstuck series is all about helping you move forward in your career, uh, helping you get unstuck on various topics, and it's packed full of useful information, top tips, topics, uh, and things that you can take away and use straight away. So we keep it practical, and it's usually around 20 to 30 minutes. Um, now, today's topic is all about getting unstuck after redundancy, because certainly when you're made redundant or you're facing redundancy, you can feel quite stuck in your career. And certainly within with the pandemic over the last two years, we have seen a huge amount of redundancies at its peak, which was, I think, September to November 2020. There were over 400,000 redundancies made. And just before Christmas in 21, so the October to December period, there was around 72,000 redundancies made, which is a huge number of people affected by redundancy. Um, and certainly, I think I think there's some stats, and Faye, you may know this, that say you might face redundancy around two or three times in your career life. Mm -hmm. And certainly, I've been made redundant once. I mean, I work for myself now, so unless I made myself redundant, I'm probably not going to face it again. But you know, in your career, you could you could be looking at being made redundant a couple of times. So being prepared for it. Um, you know, is part of, of being able to cope with it well. So today we're going to be talking about how you can um, navigate through redundancy if you're facing it now or if you want to prepare for it. Uh, and also touching on how organisations can support their staff through redundancy as well. So I'm just going to hand over to Faye to introduce herself and Bright Sky Career Coaching. Oh, thanks so much, Sarah. So hi, everybody. I'm Faye Wallace, as Sarah said, and my company's called Bright Sky Career Coaching. We help with all sorts of career-related challenges, but one of the biggest things that we help with, one of our main services, is outplacement support. So that's for anyone who's been made redundant by the organisation that they work for, and the organisation has realised that it's a great idea to actually put some support in place. So that support tends to be very practical with things like helping you with your CV, LinkedIn, interview technique, job search planning and job search strategy. But of course, it's an emotional time being made redundant. So it's also offering all of those services whilst also approaching it with real compassion and empathy and giving you that support as you're moving forwards. Yeah, and that's so important, isn't it? I mean, we've both worked in HR. And I know when I, as an HR director, had to make people redundancy, uh, redundant, I always encouraged managers to think about approaching it in a way that they would want to be approached around it. So that it's kind of, you know, you acknowledge those kind of feelings and difficulties that people are experiencing. But what would you say, you know, in your experience are the biggest challenges that people face when they're about to be made redundant or they've been made redundant? It's a really big question because actually there are so, there are so many different challenges because I'm forever saying that we're people, we're humans, we're not robots. So the big challenge of being made redundant really is that you can't predict how you're going to react. So whether you're the person delivering that redundancy news to someone or you're the person who's being made redundant, actually there is no real way of knowing how that person or how you is going to respond. So there is a model that I thought I could share that might be helpful for people to hear about. The framework that I'm going to share is called the change curve. 
and it is derived from the work of Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. So if you're watching, you may have heard of Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. She came up with this term, the five stages of grief. And what happened was the business world realized, oh my gosh, actually these five stages of grief that she's identified, we can see people going through these whenever we implement a big organizational change. And it's definitely true with redundancy as well, because these stages of grief are all about dealing with loss, coping with loss. And actually when you're made redundant, often your work is a huge part of your life. It may also have become a huge part of your identity as well. And so it means it's a big loss. And then knowing about the stages you may find yourself moving through can be very, very helpful. I created a video a couple of years ago on LinkedIn and I was really taken aback by how many people got in touch with me to say thank you. It, they had thought there was something wrong with the way that they were feeling. So you may feel ambivalent about the news that you're losing your job. You may feel furious. You may feel really sad. Whatever it is you're feeling, that, that's absolutely fine. There is no one right or wrong way to feel. And so I'm just going to quickly talk you through the different stages. It got expanded and lengthened from the five stages, and there's seven now. So the very first one is shock. And that's being really surprised, not being able to fully take the news on board. And so that can make it hard for you to move forward because it's difficult to accept what's happening. Then the second stage is denial, which is where you think, well, no, this, <laughs> this can't be happening. There's been some sort of mistake or if I work really, really hard, then actually maybe they'll change their mind and not make me redundant. The third stage is frustration. And this is where you can see anger coming out sometimes as well. So someone, if you're feeling very much like you're gonna blow, it could be that you're experiencing this stage of the process, but it may not be anger. You may just feel really, really irritated and annoyed and like it's all out of your control and out of your power. The next one is depression. And that's not necessarily clinical depression, just to reassure you. Um, it could be just a feeling of real low mood, finding it very hard to motivate yourself, feeling like things are a bit hopeless. Then it, you start to move out. It's called a curve because it goes like this. You come up the, oh, you can't see on my finger on the screen. <laughs> like this, you come up out the other side. So you it, with shock, you're still up here because you haven't processed the news yet, but you'll start moving downwards through these more negative emotions before you start picking up again. So when you pick up that, the first picking up stage is called experiments. So that's when you begin to engage with what's happening and think about what future possibilities might be. Then the sixth stage is decision. So you're really starting to feel more positive now, thinking, right, that's it. I can move forward. I'm going to do something about this and get my next job. And then finally, the last step is integration, which is sometimes called acceptance. So this is when you, you've usually fully moved on and you're happy in your new role and you've totally accepted everything that's happened. So as with anything, again, we're humans. We don't move through things in neat steps necessarily. So you may find you skip some of these steps completely. You may find that you go through some of them and then go back a bit. But just knowing about this model can be a real help because you realize there's nothing wrong with how you're feeling. And also, if you can plot where you think you are on that graph, on that curve, 
and just underline which word really resonates with you. There's a lot of research that shows that labeling um, our emotions can help us feel like we've got more control over them, which again can help bring any anxiety levels down that we're feeling. So hopefully that's helpful. And I feel like I haven't actually answered your question properly, Sarah. <laughs> no, no, you have. And I think I think you're right. It's so useful for people to be able to understand what they're feeling and be able to talk about it particularly in a work environment where we don't really we're not encouraged necessarily to show our emotions or our feelings we feel like we have to be very contained so i think it's really helpful for people to know that actually it's okay to be feeling all of those range of emotions at different times when they're experiencing redundancy uh, i think it's really really helpful um are there any other challenges that you kind of want to add in that people might um, yeah, you yeah. Might be facing as well. No, absolutely. Well, I guess what branches off from those challenges is wherever you find yourself on that curve can then lead on to something else. Because I've had people say to me, oh, it must be so much worse, Faye, if you've been working in that company for 25 years and you find out you're losing your job. And generally, I'd say, yes, it does seem to hit people the hardest when they have had very long service somewhere but not always. I've had people be devastated because they've already been made redundant twice in the last year, especially with all the change that's happening with the pandemic. So again, you can't predict that it's going to feel more of a challenge if you've been in a role for a short period of time or more of a challenge if you've been in a role for a long period of time. But I think depending on that scenario means how prepared and equipped you are for your job search. So if you have been made redundant twice before quite recently, or you've only been in that role for a little while, you might have a very up-to-date CV. You might have got a brilliant LinkedIn profile. You might already have recruitment contacts. So theoretically, as long as it emotionally you're able to help yourself move forward and take action, you may be in a less challenging position than someone who's never had to write a CV because they joined that organisation at 16 years old and then have, haven't had another job for the last 20 years. I think that can feel like a real block as in, oh my gosh, how on earth am I even going to begin? There can be worries that people haven't got skill sets that are transferable if they want to move into a new career, or there may be worries that someone hasn't necessarily kept their skills up to date where they have been somewhere for a really long time. So again, the challenges are quite unique to each person, but they're some of the big themes that I've seen, issues that flag up again and again and again when I'm working with people who are being made redundant. And of mm. course, in all of those scenarios, there's lots that you can do to help yourself move forward. It's not a case of being powerless at all. There, you've got a lot more power in this situation than you may realise. Yeah, I think that's a really, really key point. It's kind of sometimes those practical areas that, that people get really worried about, isn't it? The CV, the LinkedIn, uh, the job search. Um, but also, I, I think I've had clients where they just feel like maybe they want to reinvent themselves after redundancy as well about, you know, maybe changing career or, or starting a business, which can can be quite daunting as well. But it is a great opportunity um, to, to, you know, lots of people find it, you know, it is very... Um, devastating for some people but it can be a real opportunity as well um oh. let's oh go on sorry I was going to interrupt you it really <laughs> can be and it it's funny to know how to best handle it because I know at some point a lot of the people in the room if I'm running a workshop um or a career clinic I know that in a few months time they're going to say that was the best thing that ever happened to me 
because yeah. the redundancy has kind of forced their hand. Maybe they weren't that happy at work or they've been thinking about changing career for a really long period of time, but some fear has been holding them back from taking action. But you you can't necessarily say in that moment, I know that loads of you are going to say that's the best thing that ever happened to you because right there and then they are not feeling that at all. No. But to your point, it can be a very positive thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, certainly when I was made redundant, I never even thought about being self-employed, but it forced me to start my own business because, you know, 10 years ago when I was made redundant, you couldn't get jobs as a career coach, really. So um, so I'm thankful now that I was made redundant at the time, although it was quite, you know, scary when it, when it happened. So, but yes, I know lots of people who say, yeah, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. But when you're in, in the midst, you can't, you can't see that far ahead yet. Um, but what, what, you know, what can people do? I mean, you talked about, you know, that you've got more power than you actually think you have. What can people do to help themselves move forward if they are experiencing redundancy? So if talking about that change curve, mm. you're struggling with some of the emotions and feeling very, very sad about it or very, very angry, I would really encourage you to speak to your family and friends about it. There's a, there's a reason that the whole time to talk day and um, movement around mental health has become so strong because talking really does make a difference. I've had a client recently who told me he didn't tell his family. He just pretended he was going to work every day and went and sat on a bench. Oh and God. I know, I know it, it can just be so difficult. And I think I've seen this happen a few times now where people feel they'll be burdening their family by talking to them about it. When actually when they do go ahead and tell them, it's such a relief, uh, such a relief. So again, one of the practical things you can do is talk to people. And so that will be your family, but also close friends. I think what can be the most helpful thing is to talk to other people who have been through redundancy or who are going through it. And what's been really lovely that I've seen with some groups I've worked with is they've set up little informal groups. So if a whole range of people have been made redundant from work at the same time, I've really encouraged them to say, look, why don't you buddy up and just check in with each other once a week, see how you're doing, encourage each other, support each other. And it's been really, really helpful, especially for people who are very daunted by the idea of writing a CV for the first time or getting in touch with recruiters when they haven't had to do it for years. I think building that support network around you um, can just make all the difference. And then, of course, there's the the really obvious practical steps that you can take, which is do your CV, get your LinkedIn profile, start registering with recruiters, start setting yourself up for job alerts. So they're all practical things that are in your control. You can, you can do it. And if you're feeling like, I can't do it, it, it's too much, it's overwhelming, I would just really say, okay, well, if you're just going to take one little step what one little thing could you do that's going to help you achieve this? So I had another client recently and he said, I just can't make myself write my CV. I've got such a mental block about it. And so I said, OK, well, what's going to help? And straight away he said, I think I need to leave my house. <laughs> I'm in my house all day. It's driving me insane. I can't seem to get anything done. And so he decided he would take himself off to the library just for a couple of hours every day. And what do you know, by the end of that week, he'd written his CV just by taking himself off somewhere. So if things are feeling hard to get started with, 
just think, what's that one little step or that one little change I can make that's going to help me to actually get cracking with all these practical things now? Yeah, I think that's that's really useful to kind of break it down into that very kind of what's the first little thing I could do. But I think the community um, point that you made is really important, particularly when people are not necessarily in the office and they have that sense of disconnection. You know, maybe all the meetings about redundancy have been on Zoom and it's it's it you can kind of feel quite alone and isolated. So I think your point about talking to other people, getting support, setting up those little informal communities can can make a real difference to how you experience the whole redundancy process and, and afterwards the support network you've got um alongside those sort of practical things um i was curious about what you think about mindset because obviously you know when you're on the change curve as you've described it you know it's, it's very hard to feel positive about what's what's happening but obviously how you experience something if you can turn around that oh gosh why me why is this happening to me it's so unfair kind of mindset into more of a okay, it's an opportunity, I'm going to, you know, take whatever help I can get, I'm going to look at it as a, you know, a new phase in my career, um, can also kind of be really important in terms of then getting the, the job interviews, getting the um, opportunities. Yeah, absolutely. I think that you're right. There are lots of different ways that you can approach that in trying to tweak your mindset so that you're feeling more positive about things and one one technique that i've used myself at, at times if i've been feeling overwhelmed or stressed is to write down all your worries and concerns that are holding you back on the left hand side of a piece of paper draw a line down the middle of it and then look at what you've written down and so you just gave some great examples of reframing so you look at the sentence and then you say what's another way that i could be thinking about this so for example if you've written down I can't write my CV it's too overwhelming then you could put in that other column I can write my CV I could start by researching CV templates online or you might want to write next to it I can write my CV I can ask my friend who was made redundant recently if they have a template or again I can write my CV I can do a CV writing course, or I can write my CV, I can speak to a CV writer. So do you see straight away, all of these options open up instead of just thinking, I can't, I can't do it. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that's a really great technique. And I love the writing it down because it gets it out of people's heads, doesn't it? Because otherwise those worries just keep swirling around and you're giving them yeah. or you're giving yourself power by identifying what the possible alternatives are to thinking in that way I really love yeah. that okay. um so should we talk about organizations now and what they can do to support their staff because you know you've got some organizations who are you know quite forward thinking and really kind of invest in supporting people through that process and then there are definitely organizations that could do more uh, around that um so what would you kind of suggest to organizations if they wanted to take a more um, helpful stance to employees that they are having to put at risk of redundancy or make redundant? Hmm. Well, I think you've hit the nail on the head in saying some organisations are very well set up for this and others are less so. And that can be for a whole host of reasons. I mean, I worked in HR for almost my entire career before becoming a career coach. And I only heard of outplacement probably a couple of years before I did retrain as a career coach. So I think for some organisations, 
especially smaller ones, which might be smaller businesses, they may not even realize that this support actually exists. Mm. <laughs> so it's great that you're making this video because hopefully it's helping to um, spread awareness. Well, when I say video, this LinkedIn Live that will turn into a, a video you can watch again afterwards, I suppose. So yes, I, I mean, it seems blindingly obvious that I'm going to say put out place and support in place. Some organizations also try and offer that practical support in-house. So they will say, our HR team are very used to looking at CVs. So if you want help with your CV, please do come to us. And I think that's a lovely thing to offer, but it doesn't always get the uptake because people will feel quite unfairly, at least my view, having been at HR, that actually it's all HR's fault that they're <laughs> losing their job and they don't want to go to them for help. So it can work and it can work for some people, but not necessarily for everyone. The biggest message I would say is communicate, communicate, communicate. Mm -hmm. So please, the minute you think, oh, we're going to have to make redundancies, start communicating that and explain why so that people understand it's not because of them. Because really, when you're made redundant, it is the role that is made redundant. It's not you as a person. But when you when you face that redundancy, the rejection can feel very much like oh, it's me. It's beca it's because of me. Somehow I've done something wrong or they don't think I'm good enough. And that is not the case. It's because they've decided the role can't exist for some reason. So please communicate what that reason is so that people can really believe and accept that it's going to help them a lot. Other things to think about are to actually stay in touch with people as they're leaving and keep everyone updated. Because if there are staggered redundancies happening, so some people may be leaving now, some people may be leaving in a month's time, it's just reassuring for everyone to be able to see that, A, you care, because you're keeping in touch with people as they move on, but also to hear the stories that their colleagues are moving on to successful roles, it gives everybody hope. I think marking endings is incredibly important. There's a reason that we do things like have birthday parties or that we have graduation ceremonies when we study at school or at university. These sort of ceremonial moments are so important for us to be able to mark endings. So if just one person is being made redundant or a whole group of people are being made redundant, please do plan how you're going to say farewell. Are you going to ask everybody to um, arrange a, a whip round so you can give a present and a card? Are you going to ask their manager to stand up and say a few words about how valued they've been? Are you going to arrange for everyone to go out for drinks or for dinner or something? I've noticed recently because of the pandemic, this is the thing that has slipped the most when organisations are letting people go. I had a client recently who was very, very upset that there seemed to have been no real acknowledgement that she'd left. She literally just <laughs> had the email saying, you know, the end, that's the end of your um, uh, time here. And she'd been there about 16 years, mm. I think. So she that's just felt really very, hard. it is. But mm. I also know her manager won't be thinking, how can I be as mean as possible and make her feel awful? It, it just won't have necessarily occurred to her how important it is to mark that ending. So they're, they're just a few suggestions. Yeah, and I think that's they're really, all really important, aren't they? And I think the endings piece as well, because I think with redundancy, organisations and managers find it difficult themselves to do and almost shy away from um, offering those kind of 
of markers um, because they think people might want to slip away quietly or um, don't want to fuss or they don't want to remind people about the redundancies happening but actually the individual does need to know that their contribution was recognized that they were valued that they feel good about the ending because it doesn't have to be a negative I mean, it's negative in the terms of their job disappearing, but it doesn't have to be a negative experience for them in terms of how that ending occurs. I think that's really, really valid point. If if they, um, you know, an organisation was going to invest in outplacement, because obviously it is an investment, isn't it? Um, you know, they've got to be able to see the benefits of doing that. What would you say the benefits of having an outplacement programme in place is for an organisation, whether they're a large or a small organisation? Mm. There are huge benefits, absolutely huge. I think there is um, misconceptions sometimes that outplacement is just there to be nice and uh, for a moral reason, but mm. actually there are very strong business reasons for having that support in place as well. There's a term that is called survivor syndrome and that was invented to be able to describe the people who don't lose their jobs. When there, particularly when there are large scale redundancies, but not always. If just one person has gone from a small team, it may be that people left behind in that team have this experience of survivor syndrome. So it's called survivor syndrome because the people who are still at your work feel they've survived the redundancy. And they will often feel very guilty about it, especially if their colleague or colleagues have been distressed or it's been a difficult time for them. And they'll be watching carefully to see how the organisation handles and looks after those colleagues, because for all they know, they're next. So if they think that their colleagues haven't been supported with their transition leaving the organisation, you can find a lot of resentment starts to build up and people either kind of disengage with their jobs or stop putting in the effort or they jump ship. And particularly in times where there have been massive redundancies, like we have seen throughout the pandemic, the people who you have got left behind, you desperately need to cling on to. You need them to help the business or the organisation to succeed going forward. I mean, particularly at the moment when we're in the midst of a recruitment crisis and no one can seem to hire anyone easily. So you need to demonstrate to them that actually you do care and you are going to do something um, about this and you are going to support everybody properly who's losing the organisation because if you do that, then you're going to drastically reduce the impact that survivor syndrome has because, of course, the knock-on effect of all of this, if you don't handle it well, is you're going to ruin your employer brand because it's so easy nowadays to find out what it's like to work for an organisation. And we've got things like Glassdoor. Oh my gosh, you do not want people going on Glassdoor saying this is the worst organisation, they didn't communicate the redundancies, they don't care about their people. It's going to be a nightmare trying to hire anyone and convince them <laughs> that it's a good idea to come and to come and work there so you you really have got to think about this and you don't want to upset if you're in a big organization you don't want to risk upsetting the trade unions i've seen redundancies handled very badly which has led to strikes um employer brand wise i hate talking about it because it it it's just the the worst um thing that can possibly happen but and this is the minority of the cases that it happens this isn't something that happens all the time but for people who the loss is, is hugely devastating, there have been many instances of suicide 
where um, people have taken um, the news so badly and haven't felt that they've been supported. And I mean, the ramifications of that are just just awful uh, on any level. And yeah, um, absolutely. France, yeah. where the employment law is different, there was one organisation that was actually prosecuted because they um, it was deemed they hadn't handled the process well enough when they had several people. Um, uh, I just realised, actually, I've used the wrong term. It's not supposed to be uh, commit suicide anymore, complete suicide um, following yeah. it. So I'm sorry, it sounds so depressing and heavy, but they're important things to Yeah, they, they are. And I think, you know, what you're flagging, really, that, the, you know, there is a moral responsibility for organisations to help their staff, which is underpinned by good, sound business reasons of why they should do it as well. Um, so... Yeah, and I think, you know, they, they do, if they can't afford outplacement, they have to think creatively then about how they're going to support those staff. But definitely support needs to come in in lots of different forms for people, both in terms of how their yeah. redundancy yeah. is managed and communicated and also how they're supported through the process. Yeah. Well, Faye, I feel like we could, we could talk about this topic for, for hours, um, but let's kind of round it up. What would you say your sort of top tips would be for somebody who's going through redundancy, um, you know, to kind of manage it effectively? So the top tips would be to be really kind to yourself. So if it's going to be helpful to look at that change curve and figure out what emotion it is you're going through at the moment, then do that. <laughs> Speak to people, lean into your lean into your network for support, not just for emotional support, but I think you covered this in your very first LinkedIn Live, Sarah, actually, I, which was filled with brilliant tips. So really, I would say anyone who's watching this now, go back and watch the first LinkedIn Live that Sarah did because she shared some really practical strategies as far as getting your next job is concerned. And one of those strategies is we tend to think, oh, I need a new job, so I better just go online and see what jobs are being advertised or speak to recruiters. Yes, they're both very valid things to do, but actually, if you have a few years of work experience under your belt, often your next role is going to come through your network because so many jobs are never advertised. Instead, they all come about through word of mouth. So often, if you're looking to fill a role, you'll ask around and say, oh, we really need someone who's going to be great. Do you know anyone? Have you worked with anyone before? So I'd really recommend, actually, don't just talk to your network for the moral support. Do start to talk to them and say, look, just to update you, I'm looking for a new role. Is there anyone that you'd recommend I speak to next? And that is such a key question, because often that question leads on to them saying, oh, yes, there's a recruiter I'd recommend, or, oh, actually, uh, my cousin's company are hiring at the moment. You could be perfect. Let me introduce you to them. It, it's absolutely amazing to see it in action. And again, I had another client recently who had been made redundant and outplacement was put in place for him, but he actually didn't need it. I had to go back to the organization and say, you don't need me. Because what he did was started reaching out to his network and saying that, just saying, just to update you on this situation. And he had such a strong reputation that these job offers just started materialising out thin air. It, it was wonderful to watch. That's great. Thank you. They're brilliant tips. And so if an organisation wanted to contact you about providing out, how can they get in touch? So they can get in touch with me on LinkedIn, Faye Wallace, just send me a message. That's no problem at all. There's also a contact page on my website, which is brightskycareercoaching.co.uk. And there's a contact form that you can use there, or there's my email address on there, my phone number on there. So 
whichever way works best for you, please do feel free to get in touch. And that brings us to the end of today's episode. I really hope that you found it helpful. I will put a link to the LinkedIn live version in the show notes for you in case you want to watch it. And I'll also put a link to Sarah's LinkedIn profile in there as well in case you would like to see more of her Getting Unstuck series. If you're making redundancies or you're facing redundancy, I have lots of free and paid solutions to help. I'll link to them in the show notes for you as well. The free resources that I have for you at the moment, if you're making redundancies, are episode two of the podcast, which was handling redundancies of less than 20 people with confidence. On the Bright Sky Career Coaching website, there are three articles to help you, which are alternatives to redundancy, things to consider first. The second one is understanding and supporting staff when making redundancies and that actually takes you through the Kubler-Ross change curve in detail that I talked about in today's episode with Sarah. There's also an article called Nine Ways to Help Employees Facing Redundancy and there are several articles in the blog section of the website to support you with your job search that focus on helping you with your interview skills and your CV writing if you're actually being made redundant rather than being the person who is overseeing redundancies happen in the organisation. The paid solutions include a LinkedIn online course that I have, a CV writing online course and of course there's always the option of having one-to-one career coaching or of putting outplacement services in place for your organisation.